Well, a good morning to all of you. My name is Katie and I'm a deacon here at Incarnation. And a special welcome to our children who especially were participating in the sacramental formation class this morning. I have um, a little prompt for you all this morning. You were talking about how Jesus called you to remain in him as the vine. And today we're gonna hear the apostle Paul using the same phrase, but in a really different way. He's encouraging the people who are listening to them to stay in the relationships with the people that they are with. And so I want you to think for a minute about your family, maybe about your classmates that Jesus has put you in relationship with. And then I want you to think about Jesus as that vine. And I want you to draw a picture or maybe write something about how it is that Jesus helps you and the relationships with the people that he has placed you in. So I want you to just think about those two different ways of remaining, remaining close to Jesus and the remaining with the people that he has given you to care for. And now for the rest of us, I want to just pray for us and for our hearts for one minute. Lord God, you have placed us in families and communities and churches and you have called us to remain, to remain in you and to remain rooted in these relationships. Lord God, teach us how to do that this morning. Amen. So for those of you who have been with us for a few weeks, you know that we are working our way through the book of First Corinthians. We're doing this in two ways. We're doing it on Sunday mornings, but then we're also doing this as our small groups throughout the week. So this week, we're going to be focusing on the seventh chapter of 1 Corinthians. And if you remember last week when David preached, he was talking about lawsuits and the way that um, members of the church are meant to deal with each other when there's conflict, and particularly when you're dealing with small issues of conflict that would normally be handled by small claims court. And we've also been looking at Paul's larger framework of what it means to be saints and to be rooted in Christ. And this week, we see the book of 1 Corinthians taking a really sharp turn because we see Paul dealing with these bigger issues. And now he takes this turn and he starts responding to specific questions that the Corinthian community has posed to him in a previous letter that they probably sent to him. And in this chapter, the questions that we see them posing have to do with issues of marriage and remarriage, singleness and slavery, being male and female, being Jew and Gentile, and trying to wrap their minds around what it means to be Christians and yet to hold how to hold on to these identities. And so that you find that Paul is grouping all of these really diverse issues under the question of how does our social status, how does our identities as married spouses, perhaps those who are unmarried, how does the identity of people as slaves, as men and women, how does that identity get shaped and reformed by your call to follow Christ? And so he says, no matter what, where you find yourself in these categories, I'm going to show you how it is that you're supposed to let those identities be shaped and reshaped by the fact that you are now made alive in Christ and Christ dwells in you. Now, I want you to think back to our um, study of 1 Corinthians a couple weeks ago. 
And there's this verse that comes to us in, in that first chapter. And Paul speaks of the circumstances that the Corinthians came out of, that they were called out of when they became Christians. He says this, he says, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were born to a privileged position, but God chose what the world thinks is foolish to shame the wise. And he chose what the world thinks is weak to shame the strong. Now imagine how those words of Paul would have resonated in the Corinthian church. A church that we're pretty confident was comprised of a significant number of Gentiles, a significant number of slaves, and certainly a large number of women. This was a pretty unimpressive bunch by and large by the standards of the society that they were living in. And yet Paul says at the very beginning of his letters, he says, just remember, despite your circumstances, God chose you. He called you to follow him. And in fact, he's using the fact that you hold a low social status to display his wisdom and his power to all those who live around you. He's using those that the world considers foolish and weak to show just how foolish and weak they are. And so then Paul says in another letter to another community, he says this to Galatia, he says in chapter three, verses 27 to 28, he says, for all of you speaking to the church, all of you were baptized into Christ. And so you have put on Christ and as a result, there is no Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female. For all of you have been made one in Christ Jesus. Or if we're going to paraphrase Paul to make him a little easier to understand, he says, it's not that as Christians, you aren't a Jew or you aren't a Greek or you aren't a slave or you aren't a free man or you're no longer a male or a female but rather these categories, which the society that you live in uses to define who's strong and who's weak and who's wise and who's foolish, they don't matter here in the church because they don't define you anymore. You're defined by your identity in Christ and the fact that you all are in Christ. And as a result, all of you, whether the world sees you as weak or strong, or as foolish or weak, you have been united and you all enjoy equal status in my church. And consequently, what I'm telling you is that you should resist any pressure from people inside or outside the church to change your social status. You don't need to become a Greek if you are a Jew. You don't need to become a man if you're a woman. You don't need to become a slave if you're free. Or as Paul says throughout over and over again in chapter seven, he says, remain as you are, stay where you are. And so when he speaks to the Jews and Gentiles in the Corinthian church, in verse 18, he says, was anyone called after he has been circumcised? Don't try to undo your circumcision. Was anyone called who was uncircumcised? Do not be circumcised. In other words, were you a Jew when you became a Christian? Then stay a Jew. 
if you were a Gentile when you became a Christian, then stay a Gentile because circumcision doesn't count for anything. And serve God as you are. Serve God out of the identity that he has given to you. And since these categories don't quite land the same way, I think what Paul's saying to us now is that you can serve God faithfully no matter what your cultural, ethnic, or gender identity is. Don't try to change who you are. And to the church, he says, don't be divided by social and ethnic and cultural and gender differences, but be united in Christ and see these diverse identities that people bring to the church as a gift, as a gift to you and a place from which they can minister to the community around them. And then in verse 21, Paul goes and he picks up that grouping of Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female that he talked about in Galatians 3, and he picks that up again, and he uses this as his framework in this chapter. And so he turns to the members of the Corinthian church who were enslaved. And we know that there was probably a high likelihood that that was a pretty significant number of this church. And he turns to these members of the church and he says, were you called when you were a slave? Don't worry about it. But if you can be free, then you should make the most of that opportunity. For the one who is called in the Lord is the Lord's freeman. Here, Paul isn't endorsing slavery, not at all, but he is being realistic. He is realizing that they live in a society where the church is marginalized. And so speaking realistically to his enslaved brothers and sisters, he says that slaves who became Christians were going to most likely remain enslaved. And so he says, don't be anxious about that fact. Don't be anxious that you might serve a master who is not a Christian and who might ask you to do things that violate your Christian beliefs. God sees you and he knows you and he knows where you're planted. And so he says, don't be anxious about that fact. Instead, strive to serve God as his free man in the midst of your current circumstances. For you are in Christ a free person, even if you are still enslaved. And then Paul goes on to say, but if you are enslaved and you are ever given the chance to be free, then you should seize that opportunity because God wants to serve you to serve him in perfect freedom. And you can do that best if you're not enslaved. And so then he turns to the other members of the community and he says, do not become a slave to another person because that will hinder your ability to be faithful to God's calling. If there is any other way to avoid indebtedness, do not be enslaved. It comes with all sorts of barriers to living the Christian life that you don't want to take on if you can avoid it. And so to be clear, Paul is not endorsing slavery here but he's being realistic. He's being a pastor who's looking at someone's real life circumstances and saying, here's how you can live faithfully in the place that you've been placed. And so Paul ends by reminding enslaved Christians that they're not defined by their enslavement, 
but their ident but by their identity in Christ. And then Paul turns to that other category of those who are married or unmarried. And he says, when he applies his principle of remaining where you are to marriage and divorce, he says, stay with those that you are married to, even if they're an unbelieving spouse. If your spouse does not follow Christ, remain with them. And he advises those who are widowed that they should remain unmarried. But unlike Corinthians who said, you should avoid having sex with your spouse and you should abstain from sex, Paul says, if you're married, have sex with your spouse. And here's why. Because abstaining from sex can lead you down the path to sexual temptation. And he says this to those who are widowed, you should remain unmarried if you can. But if your sexual desires are powerful to the point that they distract and tempt you, then you should be remarried. Here again, we find Paul being so pastoral. He's so realistic about the power of people's sexual desires. And so while he's clear that he would prefer that they remain unmarried and remain with their spouse, what is far more important to them to him is that they follow Christ and that they be unencumbered, un unencumbered by sexual desire and temptation. And so he says, he says to the Corinthian Christians, if you believe sexual desire might lead you to sin, then you are better off to be married because marriage is not a sin. But he also cautions those who are married. He says, if you're considering being married, then you should consider all the responsibilities and the burdens that come with marriage. For if you are married, you take on care of a spouse and the children that come with marriage. And so Paul goes on in this chapter to speak about singleness as a gift. For being unmarried meant that Paul could serve God without the distractions that would come with a spouse and children. Singleness enabled him to be fully devoted to the Lord. Paul recognized that there was a real freedom that came with singleness. And so he encourages his fellow believers to remain unmarried. But he says this, only remain unmarried if you can resist your sexual desires or you don't experience sexual desire. Because if those two things aren't true, then your singleness will always be a burden rather than a freedom. Paul reminds us that it's important to recognize and respect and celebrate the gift of celibate singleness. And I think he wants us to allow space for people in our midst to discern if this is their calling. Rather than assuming that all Christians should get married, we should encourage all believers to at least consider whether God might be calling them to celibate singleness. We should do as Paul does and invite all believers to consider the freedom that comes with being unmarried and the real responsibilities that come with marriage in order to fully discern their call. But of course, Paul could not have imagined our church today, right? 
he was writing to a church where it was assumed that most people would get married. And so he couldn't have imagined our church right now in the 21st century in the West, in which a large number of people would be unmarried and many not by their own choice. And so I think it's worth asking what his advice to remain as you are means to the church today. Well, if you're not married and you desire to be, then I think Paul's invitation is to not be anxious and to be preoccupied with finding a spouse. Paul is inviting you to serve God right where you are and to not be anxious or concerned. But instead he recommends that those who desire to be married but aren't focus on their energies on serving God just where they are. But I was talking to a friend this week and she was reminding me She's in her late 40s and she was reminding me just how hard and lonely it can be to be single in your 30s, your 40s and beyond. In a church that doesn't always support you or even acknowledge how difficult it can be to be single. And the church hasn't always done a good job of acknowledging that singleness can be a call either. And instead, we oftentimes assume that most people will eventually get married or that they even want to be married. And consequently, the church needs to repent of the fact that we haven't always done a good job of supporting people where they are. My unmarried friends have oftentimes told me that the best thing that their married Christian brothers and sisters can do is to be intentional about caring for them and inviting them absorbing them into the life of married couples and families. Singles need their married brothers and sisters to do a better job of acknowledging their struggles and supporting them. And that feels like a message we all need to hear, especially during this pandemic. To close, I want to share with you the story of Lilius Trotter, whose art we saw on our slides this morning. Lilius, for me, is a great example of someone who took seriously Paul's advice to remain where you are, to serve God where you are. She was a gifted artist, but chose to give up the opportunity for fame because at the age of 35 in the year 1888, she became a missionary to Algeria where she died. We might not know of Lilius Trotter at all, except for the fact that she left behind beautiful journals filled with illustrations and her meditations on her relationship with Christ. And when her journals were found, they were later published in two books entitled, entitled Parables of the Cross and Parables of the Christ Life. A reflection slide that you're going to see in a minute includes one of her illustrations of a buttercup from the desert. It's from her book, The Parables of the Cross. And underneath this in her journal, she writes, have we learned the buttercup's lesson yet? Are our hands off the very blossom of our life? Are all things, even the treasures that he has sanctified, 
held loosely, ready to be parted with without a struggle when he asks for them. Lilius asks us to consider whether we are willing to let God use us where we are, as we are. Or are we always fighting against our circumstances and filled with concern? Are we willing to abandon ourselves? Are we willing to abandon all of our closely held identities and our desires to the one who knows far better than we do what is best for us? And so I pray that all of us, especially in this Lenten season, would experience the joy that Paul and Lilius had as we too place ourselves in God's hands for the sake of his purposes and our highest good. Amen.